it's such a taboo subject. So many people in the media and just in general don't want to know about and don't want to talk about male sexual abuse. Maybe it's too hard, but we need to start this conversation. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders. It was a day like any other crystal blue sky and warm summer air as a young Nathan Spiteri walked into a changing room facility at a public swimming pool and experienced a turn of events that would alter his life forever. In his powerful and deeply vulnerable memoir, Toy Cars, One Man's Journey from Trauma to Triumph, Sporetti dives into the trauma of being abused, groomed, and manipulated by a pedophile. Sporetti paints a stunning masterpiece of triumph over tragedy, a powerful canvas of self-discovery, therapeutic growth, and self-love. Sporetti offers a cautionary tale for all parents who are raising children, an anthem of survival for anyone who has suffered difficulties of youth. In our search for a better life, Toy Cars proves that love and healing are possible. Nathan is joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to be here and to be a part of it. Nathan wrote a book called Toy Cars. That's right. Yep. Toy Cars. It's a story of the journey of his childhood with childhood sexual abuse. As an adult, how he walked through it and worked through it. So I'm just going to kind of throw it at you and let let you kind of tell your story. And I like in the book how you laid it out, the present, before, after, and how you're doing now. I'm from Australia. I've been living in, in the States for quite a few years now, but this happened to me when I was eight years old. I grew up in a small little town just outside of Canberra. And Canberra is the capital city of Australia, which is about a three-hour drive south of Sydney. So it was a, just a typical summer's day, just after Christmas. Me and my sister, we rode our bikes down to the local swimming pool where I guess most of the community, most of the town would go and hang out during the summer days. And we're talking, you know, the mid eighties when our parents would send us out in the middle of summer and say, don't come back until it's dark. My sister and I went down to the local swimming pool hang out all day, playing and swimming with our friends. She left early with a couple of her friends and I was fine with that because I'd ridden my bike home plenty of times before that. So I didn't think anything of it. End of the day, I was literally the last person there. I walked into the change rooms and a man followed me in there and raped me in the showers. The first words he said to me was that if I tell anyone, he'll kill me and kill my family. And the grooming, the manipulation of lies was starting there. He told me that, you know, I was looking at him at the pool. I picked him up at the pool, that my parents wanted this to happen, that my family hate me, that he loves me, you know, just a typical, I guess, grooming situation. This abuse went on for five years. Through his grooming manipulation, it turned into a Stockholm syndrome, syndrome relationship where I fell love for this man. I wanted to be with this man. I believed everything he was saying. I pushed my family away my parents, my, my siblings. At 13, he abandoned me. So I was like, well, what am I? Where do I belong? Who do I belong with? Am I gay? Am I straight? He told me how special I was. Am I really that special? I was lost. I was confused. I was depressed. I would start stealing my, my father's cigarettes and drinks, alcohol drinks, get drunk or, or get high off these cigarettes as a 13-year-old to numb the pain, to escape everything that was going on. 15 years old, I grew up near an industrial part of town. So I would ride my bike to this industrial part, lots of gay clubs, cruise lounges, go in there, be raped by men. But once that was done, I would beat them up, bash them, rob them. 
And that was my way of getting my power back. That was my way of feeling alive, getting my power back, my FU to the world. Fell into heavy drugs. Literally everything, I was shooting heroin, I was smoking crack, I was in a bad place and I was addicted to the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. Moved to New York to act and study and, and study writing, thinking I could get away from it all. Fell back into it, obviously, because in New York, everything is so much more readily available and cheap and also whilst trying to have a relationship with women. And then about 10 years ago, I hit rock bottom. I was at my very lowest, my, my worst point. It was either tell someone or, or die. I finally told my very best friend. So I told someone for the first time in 25 years, hadn't told anyone till I told my very best friend. Through that, she helped me get therapy, group therapy, rehab, AA, Narcotics, Sex Anonymous, just stuck with AA though. Over the last 10 years of just intense therapy and group therapy and, and going through all these programs, I've now discovered who I am, what I am, what I went through, my relationships with this man, with my family, with these men. For me now, it's about giving back to the world. It's about giving back to the, to the voiceless because there are so many men and women in the world, thousands and thousands who don't have a voice, who can't find peace, who can't move forward, can't get closure. So with me telling my story, sharing my story, sharing my, my recovery, getting out there, being the face of this, I guess, for many, many people, then that is my, my job. That is what I'm, I'm here to do. Nathan, I love that you are so willing to tell your story because it's not a pretty one. And yet there are thousands and thousands of men, boys that this has happened to, and we don't hear about it. And that's why I really wanted to do this interview with you. One thing that you had said to me in the past is that we have to educate parents. It's a hard topic, so parents might not even want to think about it. But your parents had no idea that this was going on. As you tell this story and you begin to educate parents, what are some things that you're telling them to watch for or to know? I guess just... And I guess this was me, but my parents just thought I was an introvert, just a shy little kid who wanted to be on his own and play with his own cars and just sit and watch TV in his room. So I think if, as a parent, if you see, notice a difference from one day to the next or over time that this kid was an extrovert, was out playing with friends to all of a sudden just wanting to sit at home and be on his own and talk to your kids, talk to them and let them know that they're not going to get in trouble. It's okay to talk it's okay they're, they're in a safe environment let them feel trusted feel loved i think that's the most important thing and also educating our kids on their penis is called a penis and their vagina is called a vagina we don't give it nicknames you know make light of it because if we as family members as parents as brothers and sisters whatever we are make light of it and then if a strange man or a strange woman comes up and makes light of it and plays with it then they think it's okay we need to tell our kids that, a, that their penis and vagina is theirs and theirs alone. It belongs to them. No one can touch it. No one can play with it. That if someone does, it's okay to tell, like I said earlier, it's okay to tell. They're not going to get in trouble. That they're not going to get in trouble with the police or family members or whatever. So I think just let them know that it's not their fault. Let them know that they're safe, they're trusted, and let them know that everything's going to be okay. If anything happens, if anyone feel, if they feel uncomfortable, if anyone says anything or touches them or, or any awkward movement or moment, let them know that it's okay to talk about it. The predators are masterful. They know how to convince kids. And I think that parents need to know this, giving their child language. For instance, somebody tells you a secret and then they say, if you tell anyone they will kill you, you can always tell your parents. A kid, now you're an adult. You know, once a kid's been violated, 
And so now their whole job is to protect their parents. So they don't even understand because they've never had any language for that. What would you say about that? I think exactly. I think, you know, we, we just, we need to start at a young age from two years old, from three years old, when they are, you know, smart enough to, to understand what we're talking about. Just, we need to have an open dialogue. We need to be open. We need to be honest. And again, just let them make them feel safe. Let them know that they're not going to get in trouble. That yes, these predators are smart people. My guy was a smart man. He knew what he was doing. He done it to me and I'm sure he, or like I did hear that he'd done it to other people as well. And they always say, once a predator does it to one kid, they do it to 10, 15, 20 kids. So it's not just a one-off thing. So I think for us is just be aware as parents, don't turn a blind eye. Don't play dumb or act dumb or say, I can't have that conversation with my kid because I've spoken to so many people. I've done so many talks and so many parents have come up to me at the end of it said, I can't have that conversation with my kid which just blows my mind because these are your children. These are your future. These are you. So for you not to want to go there and have these conversations, that's where the problem begins. I think what we learned from your book, and I will say it's a, it is a little hard to read because it's graphic, but I, I know that you did that on purpose. It's, it's almost like you weigh it. Your innocence was taken away. And I think maybe back in your day, there wasn't as much information as there is now. Now there's more information. Anybody hearing this now knows that this can happen to a very small child. And their responsibility as an adult is to make sure the children in their life are protected. And we can't watch them every minute of every day. These predators, they know what to look for. They know what parents are working they know what parents are showing up at school, being willing, number one, to hear a story as hard as it is, and then say these things do happen, that we don't have to live in fear that it's happening all the time, but we have to put into place protections so that children know what to do because you didn't know what to do. You did what you were told. Yeah, this might be hard, but you know, sometimes it is our parents who are doing it to us. So if there are yes. young kids or teenagers listening to this, speak to your school teacher, speak to a parent's friends when you go and visit, speak to someone outside the family, again, that you trust, that you know will listen to you. Because sometimes it is within the household, a grandparent or a, you know, a parent, a bigger brother or sister, what, whatever the situation is, which makes it twice as hard because it's a family member. But I think, you know, if, if there is a school teacher, I was going to say priest, whoever it is, a fan, you know, your best friend's parents, your sports coach, if there is someone else outside of the household who you trust, who you believe, who you, who you know will have your back, go to that as well. Two things come to mind with that. Now, I know you didn't even tell your best friend and you had really good friends that you were friends with through your whole school time. But if a kid has a friend that is telling him something, that friend needs to go to their parent. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And be brave enough to tell. And then also, this is in the podcast we interviewed you on, No Longer Ashamed. We always say the best thing you can ever say if somebody tells you something and it's horrific because this is, is to say, I believe you. Exactly. As soon as you say, I believe you, 
the person is going to trust you and want to talk more. As soon as you say, I don't believe you, then it's done. The, the story's done. The relationship is done. This person will never come to you again. And this person may never go to anyone else again. This person may end up killing themselves, may end up killing their predator. It, you know, it could go a lot worse. For you, telling your story was brave. And I know that you don't need accolades for that. But on the other hand, there are statistics. Number one, it's 23 to 26 years before men will tell their story <laughs> if they've been abused as children. What about suicide? Can you talk about that a little bit? A suicide, 78, 79% of all suicides are males. And then I think about, I think it was around about 70% of all male suicides are related to sexual abuse, whether they've come out about it, whether they haven't come out about it, but it relates to sexual abuse and, and you know, these poor men not having support, not being able to do the work, not being trusted, not being supported. Yeah, 78% of all suicides are male. And then about 70% of all those suicides are related to, to sexual abuse or severe trauma. It seems like we work really hard to protect our daughters, but I feel like we're very unaware. We, we are very unaware and, and it's, it's such a taboo subject. So many people in the media and in just in general don't want to know about and don't want to talk about male sexual abuse. Maybe it's too hard, it's too rough, it's whatever the situation is, but we need to start this conversation. That's what really stuck with me. And I felt really sad for you because I saw you as that eight-year-old. I work with a lot of people in recovery, mostly women, but I do have some men clients. What we're finding on the No Longer Ashamed podcast is many people who are abused then turn to drugs and alcohol. Absolutely. And so maybe it's not a homeless problem and it's not a drug problem that we have. Maybe it's an abuse problem. And if we could somehow begin to get on that, maybe we could turn things upside down. Absolutely. Because what we do as a society is we look at the homeless person now. We look at the drug addict now. We look at the, the alcoholic now. But how did they get there? Why did they get there? What happened to them? That's what we don't look at. We look at, oh, look at that homeless person. Look at that drunk. Look at that, you know, that, that addict. You know, I don't want anything to do with them. But, but everyone has a story. We all started from somewhere. We weren't born as drug addicts. We weren't born as, as addicts in general or, or a, a, with addictions. We weren't born with shame. We were all born natural and real and, and however you want to put it, pure, let's say pure. But then it's our environment around us that form us into these people. So, you know, instead of looking at these people for what they are today, let's, let's have a conversation with them and find out why they are what they are today. There's people that are suffering and people will say, well, they came from a good home. I don't know why they're on drugs. Well, we don't know. So what would a conversation look like if like, if you had a buddy that was just really struggling and, and maybe you listen to this and you think, oh my gosh, what if something happened to him as a kid? Is that, is that a conversation that you want to just have with them? I mean, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? I came from a very good home. My parents are the sweetest people in the world. My brothers and my sister are the sweetest people in the world. I was a drug addict. I was violent. I was into all these different things and sex and violence and alcohol and shooting heroin and beating people up and everything. So I think the most important thing is to just go up to your friend and say, are you okay? Just a simple three words. Are you okay? Because it's okay not to be okay. You know, I'm sure we've all heard that saying it's okay not to be okay. And it is. We all go through depression. We all go through our good and bad days. No matter trauma is all relative. Trauma really is whether you've been through what I've been through or whether you 
lose a job or whether you trip over and graze your knee. Trauma is all relative. It's all about how you handle it and how you deal with it and how you educate yourself on it and how you move forward with it. And I've had that done to me. I've had very good friends who have come up to me and said, Nathan, are you okay? Because they've seen I'm depressed. They've seen that I'm in a bad place. And that is today, even after all the work I've done on myself. It's a never, it's not a, all right, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to go to rehab or therapy and I'm all better now. I'm cured. It's an everyday thing. It truly is. So if you notice something with your friend or if you see that your friend is down or your partner or your husband, your wife, whatever the situation is, just go up and say, are you okay? I'm here for you. I'm here to listen. Because that is really all we want most of the time is for someone to sit with us and for someone to listen. I feel like we live in a world of people that don't listen. If we know somebody's hurting and we are willing to sit and hear them out, not try to fix them, not try to say, well, at least, or yeah. all of those platitudes that we hear people say, but if we can really get real and, and listen and then know that there are resources and help, like you say, you, you know, you told a friend, which probably blew her away, yeah. but then she helped you get resources. So talk a little bit about what is out there. Somebody's listening right now and they're like going, oh my gosh, I had no idea that I could tell my story and I had no idea there was help. There are so many avenues we can go down these days. First and foremost, therapy saved my life. And I recommend therapy to anyone. I, I truly, truly do. So, you know, I know it's hard and people don't believe in it, but give it a go. Like really, if you know of a therapist or if you want to ring up and, and speak to a therapist, give it a go. In Australia, and I'm sure there are, as well as there are here in the States and pretty much all over the world, there are so many hotlines now that we can call charities, organizations, counselors at school or even a lot of workplaces now have counselors and, and therapists in-house to go and speak to but again most importantly the first person we are going to speak to probably is a friend is a family member is someone that we think we can trust and who is going to believe us and is going to support and be there for us so just make sure you you pick the right person if you do go down that way because you don't want them to then like you said turn around and say i don't believe you you're, you're done. You're never going to speak to another person about this and you go heavy into the drugs, the alcohol, whatever it was, or whatever it is. But there are so many lifelines, services that we can call. There are so many, again, charities, organizations. Again, there is the local church. There is, you know, a lot of people because, you know, as much as priests and stuff have a bad name, there are a lot of good ones out there as well. They're, they're, let's, let's be honest about that. There's a lot of coaching and sporting organizations and they are not hard to find. That is so good to know. And I, you know, just as of July 16th, there is a new crisis hotline. So like we would call here 911, yeah. it's 988 that just uh, went into effect. But I think what's really important is telling the story because I feel like, like you had said, I'm never telling anybody. And when push came to shove, you finally... You finally told somebody, and in a way, as hard as it was, which we know it's probably the hardest thing you ever did, there was freedom, which that was probably not what you were expecting. No, not at all. But I, I, I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I think we're talking about 2012 now. So we're talking 11 years ago. I told my very best friend, I felt the weight of the world lift off my shoulders. I felt such a relief if I can say a relief, it was just such a, an awakening moment being able to tell someone for the very first time. But in saying that as well, once I told her, I also felt so lost and alone. And, oh my God, so what do I do now? I've told someone, so what happens now? I, I, I felt 
more alone than ever in telling her, even though she had my back, she was going to support me. She was never going to go away. So it's about once you do that first step, it's about taking the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth step. Because if you just take that first step, you're going to fall back into your, your vices even heavier, which is what I did until I took that second, third step and, and went to therapy and, and rehab and got myself better and really committed myself to the work. And you said that going to group therapy really helped to know that it wasn't just you. It wasn't just me. We all had a story and just listening to everyone else. There were a few people in my group who weren't affected by sexual abuse, but their trauma was relatable to mine, whatever it was. So whatever these people were talking about in group, we could all relate to each other. We all learned so much from each other. I learned more from them than I did from myself. And I grew listening to them. And they, the most important thing, that was such a support system for me. I didn't feel alone, whether it was just a one-on-one with my therapist. And, you know, sometimes you do feel alone there and it's it's awkward and it's, it's, it's a bit tough if you don't have that relationship as yet. But in group, we were a team. We had each other's back. We supported each other. We formed friendships outside of that. And we, we stayed friends and we checked in on each other. And, and that was the most important thing as well. We're talking to Nathan Spiteri. He is the author of Toy Cars. One man's journey from trauma to triumph. What I am taking away from this, Nathan, number one is tell your story. Number two, get connected. Find your community of people, especially in the beginning. And then the the thing that has really stuck with me, and I would like you to say a little bit more about this before we go, is doing the work, that it's not a one-time thing, but it's what, daily, monthly? It is a daily thing. And, and what people need to realize, and this is something that I've, I've experienced firsthand is, you know, I've spoken to strangers, I've spoken to friends, I've spoken to people who have said, Nathan, just get over it. It happened, you know, when you were eight years old. But what people need to realize is that what happened to me and what happens to everyone in trauma it is now a part of my DNA. It's a part of who I am. It's ingrained in me and it's never going to go away. It's about moving forward with it. It's about doing the work to educate myself on what I went through, understand it, evolve from it and move forward with it. So that if I do feel anxiety, I do feel stress, I do feel depression, I feel things coming onto me, I know how to work through it instead of just throwing it away there and then because it's going to come back and hit me tenfold. So if the, the most important thing for me is having these things or letting these things hit me in my body, see where they hit me and then see what it does to me and then do the work on it that way. Sit with it. One of the most important things I've had to do is just, just breathe because when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you've got all these things going on, you breathe faster and faster. You, you, you can't catch your breath. You can't get grounded. So one of the most important things, and I tell this to everyone is just ground yourself. Just take a couple of deep breaths, get back into your body and just see what this thing is doing to you and then get connected with whoever you need to connect with, speak to whoever you need to speak with. It is not an everyday thing. You know, like I said, I came out 12 years ago about this. This happened to me when I was eight years old for four or five years. And then there's a lot of trauma as a result of that afterwards. But I'm learning things every day. I'm evolving every day. I'm growing every day. It's an everyday thing. You're never going to be cured. You're never going to be, okay, well, I've done the work. Now I can move forward. I've done my week's therapy or my one month in rehab, and it's time to just go on and have a new life because this is going to follow you into that life. And it's going to hit you twice as hard if you don't continue with the work. So most important thing is just keep up with it. Just keep doing the work, 
know who you are, understand what you went through and move forward with it. Don't throw it away. From the day that you told your story or even before to now, can you say where you came from and how you thought about yourself to how you think about yourself now? I hated myself. (laughs) I really did. There was a lot of self-sabotage. There was a lot of depression. There was a lot of anger and hatred on myself and the world. Imposter syndrome. I don't deserve to be happy. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve the job. I don't deserve the girlfriend. I don't deserve anything. Once I did get those things, I did what I had to do to sabotage it, to push it away, to move it, to move it away. But today, because of the work I've done and I'm continuing to do on myself and educating the world, I now know who I am as a person. I now know who I am as a man, most importantly, and what I'm expected as a man. And I know how to communicate. I know how to share. I know how to be vulnerable and cry. And I think that's the most important thing is being able to communicate in a relationship. Because if there's no communication, then there's nothing. If there's no trust, there's nothing. If there's no vulnerability, there's nothing. For me, it's just continuing to do the work, understanding who I am and evolving every day and moving forward with it every day and just speaking to others. Because the more I speak to them, as much as I'm educating them, I'm educating myself because I'm learning new things about myself as much as what they say to me, I'm learning new things about them and, and about my situation through their situation. Yeah, today I'm just, I know who I am. I've lived nine lives and there are a lot of things I regret. I've done a lot of terrible things in my life, but I wouldn't change a thing because it's brought me to where I am today. It's made me the person I am today. It's made me speak these words to you today because of everything I've been through. And if I change one of those things, who knows where I'd be, what I'd be doing and... and Has knowing yourself... And being comfortable in your own skin changed relationships around you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because now I am more open and willing to let people in, to feel love, to feel friendships where I never was, where I live in New York. Sometimes I feel like the loneliest person in New York because I would never let people in. I would never share. I would never want to feel love. I thought I deserved nothing and no one. And, but now I'm past that. For me, whether I make $20 million a year, whether I make $20,000 a year, it's about peace, it's about love, and it's about joy because I've never felt any of those the feelings. And, and now I am. Now I'm open to love. I'm open to peace. I'm open to joy. I want to feel these things. I want, I want to be in love. I want to have a family. I want to, yeah, I, I want what every normal person wants and, and does and has. The power of getting help and the power of doing the work is so incredible. And my name is Nathan Spiteri, S-P-I-T-E-R-I, and it's N-A-T-H-A-N. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Send me a message on that, and and I'd be glad to speak. I'd be glad to get in contact back with you. And And where can people get your book? Barnes & Noble. It's at Amazon Books is probably the best one. Target. It's at all online bookstores, also on Audible and, and Kindle. And Thank you so much. Thank you so much as well. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference.